I heard this quote maybe 25 years ago, and it's, it's been a blessing to me ever since. And it, it comes from Martin Luther, where he says, live each day as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and he's coming back tomorrow. And I, I heard that quote, and I, I've, I've thought about it thousands of times since. The idea of, of living our lives in such a way as if it was just the reality is, what, what, what if he had died yesterday? Um, being in a place of just having an, an, an incredible thankfulness for what it is that he's done for us. Not something that, that's far in the past, as far as, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, he died for us. But as if he, he had just taken all of my sins upon himself. Living as if he had risen again from the dead this morning. As if he rose this morning. The joy, like the incredible joy of thinking of him rising again from the dead. You think of events that take place in history, and I, I was reminded of one yesterday because if, if you remember just different iconic pictures that have occurred throughout the history of our country, one of them would, would fall upon World War II and the end of World War II, and there's this picture of this, this nurse in her white outfit, and she's kissing a, a or being kissed by a Sailor, a sailor that's in his black outfit with his hat on, and they had just announced on August 14th of 1945 that the war had ended, and people were in the straight streets, and they were celebrating, and there she is, and she's being kissed by this guy, and, and she, that lady, died yesterday at 92 years old. And so I, I saw the picture, and I read about it a little bit more. I had seen the picture many times, but read about it and learned that here's this, this, this moment and they, they capture it. It's the celebration and they figured out who the woman was and who the man was. And she was Greta Friedman and, and, and she was just, she had come out and she was walking down the street and she didn't know this sailor from anybody. <laughs> and he just came and grabbed her and kissed her. And, and this showed up, New York Times had taken the picture and ended up, and a full-page article in Life magazine, and became like a picture of celebration of World War II ending. And here's this poor girl that's being attacked by this man. And <laughs> all I could think is like, if that's my daughter someday. And um, I hope that it's followed by like, like a sleeper hold in an armbar or something like that, where you're able just to see, like, you know, we have some years to prepare her for that, and it's it's in progress. But like, I, I just think like. There'd be some awesome pictures that would follow that kiss. But make copies. I'm going to give this to future guys. Um, But that event and the celebration that occurred at the end of World War II. But it's nothing in comparison to him rising again from the dead. As if it took place this morning. And then just the, the mentality and, and, and the heart as if, what would I be like today? 
what would I be doing today if he was coming back tomorrow? What, what, what kind of mindset would I have? What would be my priorities? Would I have the same priorities that I do right now? Or would they shift if I knew that he was coming back tomorrow? And so Martin Luther just says, why don't we live every day like that? As if he died yesterday, rose this morning, and he's coming back tomorrow. We're getting a little bit of a glimpse of that here in John chapter 20 because he's risen this morning. We find Mary Magdalene there in, in, in John chapter 20, verse 11, where it tells us that she stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if, if, you, had carried, if, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but Go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And this is our text for this morning. You see Mary there, and it has been an incredibly brutal last three days. Um, Without a doubt, she has been weeping and weeping throughout these days. She had come earlier, as we saw just last week, and, and had come up upon the tomb and saw that, the, that the, the stone had been rolled away. And she ran back and she got Peter and John and they came running to the tomb. And, and now they're gone and she's coming back. But she's there and she's outside the tomb and she's just weeping continually. She stoops down and looks into the tomb. Now she... Remember who we're talking about here. This is Mary Magdalene. She's the one that, what we do know of her is that she had seven demons inside of her. And 
was afflicted with multiple infirmities. And Jesus had come and cast out those demons and healed her of all of her infirmities. What, what would have taken place in the heart of someone like Mary is, is she had known where she had come from. Along with those seven demons would have just been a huge list of, of sin. I mean, incredible sin that was, had poured forth out of her life. Incredible sickness that had afflicted her. And Jesus found her. And Jesus cast out the demons and healed her. And she loved him. Her life was radically, completely changed as a result of Christ. She adored him. Think of where Jesus says, I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And, and you think of that particular woman, and you look at, at Mary, and, and, and you think of her, and, and you think, she loved a lot, didn't she? There, there may be sins that are in your life where you, you think of your background and your testimony, and it, it's, it's just, it's a laundry list of just sins. It, it, it's sins that You wouldn't want anybody to know about. Um, but then you think of, of Christ and his kindness forgiving you. And the one who's been forgiven much loves much. I'll, I'll tell people frequently when they just come and say, like, this is what I have in my past. My, my response is, well, then you ought to sing Amazing Grace in a very powerful way. He saved a wretch like me. Oh, that should be powerful. For Mary, it was powerful. She loved Christ. Christ had died on the cross three days before. The tomb was there, and, and, and she thought that she was going to come and anoint his body, but the stone had been rolled away, and she runs to tell him someone's taken his body, and she comes back, and now she's just... She's just outside the tomb. Where else is she to go? The one that she loves more than anybody had last been in that tomb, and she's just going to be as close to that spot as possible. And she's outside the tomb just uncontrollably weeping. She loved him. She goes inside the tomb, stoops down and looks in the tomb, and she sees two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she says to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Notice a few things in this narrative. I, I, I find this to be just an incredibly interesting account. One is she sees two angels, and usually that's a pretty awesome sight when you see two angels dressed in white like usually like you either fall down like a dead person or you're at least going to be like pretty amazed at what you're seeing she she doesn't even seem to care she sees these angels and and, and maybe it's it's that they look like ordinary people just dressed in white but there's a good chance that that's that's not the case these are these are angels that are there in the tomb and she doesn't even skip a beat in her grieving. 
She loved Christ so much that even the most spectacular sight here on earth won't move her out of her state of heartache. She's just like, angels. <laughs> it's not out with the old and in with the new. She doesn't care. She, she's in a place of, can you, can you just tell me where you've taken his body? He's all that matters to her. I think of Psalm 73 and verse 25 where it says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon the earth that I desire besides you. You're the only one that I want. She loved Christ. Loved him. So they say to her, Why are you weeping? See, Mary sees her current circumstances from her perspective and and she has no idea of how the Lord's going to work this together for good. She had come earlier with all that she needed to anoint his body because she assumed that his body was still there. She wasn't looking for a resurrection. Not only was things working together for good, but... She has no idea that Jesus not being there means that he's conquered sin and death and that she's adopted into his family forever. Her sins are washed away and he's risen from the dead and he's alive forevermore. She just didn't understand what was taking place. She didn't see outside of of an empty tomb the body is gone and so she is just unraveling and weeping as i say that there may be things in your life where um, maybe it's now that there's tears that pour Um, maybe it's something in your past where you could think of times where there was just incredible heartache Like Mary, I'm certain that if if we could see things through the lenses of what God is doing in our lives and how he's working things together for good and how he's about to display his glory and how this light affliction is just for a moment in light of eternity and how it is that he saved us and how he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, I'm sure those tears, they may still pour forth, but they may pour forth differently. I mean, just knowing, like, God has a plan. I I could think of one of the most difficult things that I ever went through in my life and the way in which the Lord used that to shape me into who I am today. And I, I, I praise him for it. But for Mary... She's, she's there, and all she knows is he's gone. She's weeping. I think of these tears that pour forth, and I think how God tells us in Revelation 21 how there's this voice comes that from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will 
dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death nor sorrow nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. There's a reason why things shift in heaven is because we're able to see his sovereignty and his plan and what it is that he's done and the fact that he has taken us to a place of no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin. There's no more death. Tears are wiped away. Because we're able to see what it is that he has done in the love of the Father for us. Well, she's there and she's weeping. And they say to her, why are you weeping? Now, as we we read this, it says that she says to them, because they've taken away my Lord. They've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. Well, as she says this, she turns around and she sees Jesus standing there, but she doesn't know that it's Jesus. This shouldn't surprise us too much because you know that he has risen again from the dead. He has his resurrected body and we see him even clouding the eyes of those on the road to Emmaus. We know that, that he is working in their hearts, but she is not expecting to see him, and he looks different than what he did before. And so she doesn't know that it's Jesus, and Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, says to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Again, she loves him. Can you just tell me where you've laid him? If you've taken him, could you just tell me where he is and I will go get him? I will go and I'll get him and I will take him away. Here's this, this lady saying, I, I'm going to go and, and, and I'm going to find Jesus wherever it is that you've laid him with all of the cloths that are around him and the hundred pounds of spices that are embalming him and, and I will go and I will get that body and I will take him someplace else. I'll go, I'll just, just tell me where he is. But Jesus says to her, Mary. And then everything changes. She hears his voice. And she knows him. I think of Isaiah 43 where it says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I've called you by your name. You are mine. My sheep hear me, and they know my voice, and they follow me. The Lord tells us. And so he says, Mary. Now, you know, like, he had to have said this in such a way 
that it immediately hit her heart. It changed everything. And he has worked in her heart to where the scales have been removed and she knows who's there. And she turns to him and says, Rabboni, which is to say teacher or master. And Jesus says to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. Stop in there for just a moment. Don't cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father. Obviously she's going in. She sees him, she hears him, and she's going just to cling to him. Why is it that he says, don't cling to me? Um, a lot of different interpretations of like, and thoughts of why it is that she's, he says, don't cling to me. Um, the best one that I've heard is, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. What Jesus says right here. Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And we could go from there to, 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 to interpret it in such a way of, she's clinging to him probably in such a way of, you have risen from the dead. And now I'm with you. And I will be with you forever. And you're never leaving me again. And his response is, no. For I've not yet ascended to the Father. You see, when he ascends to the Father, he will be there at the right hand of the Father. And there will come a day where she will spend all eternity with him. In the tabernacle of God with him for all eternity. But not at this time. It's not the proper time to be clinging to him like that. Jesus from here says, but go to my brethren. Go to my brethren. He uses that word brethren. There's a change in the relationship as far as his relationship with his disciples. Go now to my brethren. Romans 8.16 tells us that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We are joint heirs with Christ. Brethren. Ephesians 2.19 tells us, Now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Brethren, go and tell my brethren. Go to them. And say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Tell them that. Tell them I'm going and I'm going to ascend to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The relationship that's there is the most intimate relationship that you could think of. No longer strangers, no longer foreigners, members of the household of God. We belong together with Him, brothers in Christ. He is our Father and He is our God, and we spend eternity with him. So Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples 
that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. It's the best news that she could have ever brought them. I am certain that her going to the disciples came with urgency, with running, with going and anticipating, I get to tell them the best news that they could ever hear. I have seen the Lord. I have seen our master. I have seen Jesus. I've seen the Christ. He is going to ascend to the Father. And he's my Father to his God and to my God. He is alive and he will be forevermore. She's going to tell the disciples. When you think of living each day as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back tomorrow, if we think that way and we live that way, it's going to change the way that we do missions. And it's going to change the way that we do evangelism. I don't know when the last time it is that you shared the Lord with somebody or whether that is on your heart or in your mind or whether you think about it. I don't know when the last time it was that you thought about a mission trip or sent somebody on a mission trip or prayed for someone over a mission trip or had a heart that just says, I, I, I want the gospel to go forward to as many people as it could possibly go forward to it to because in, in the gospel is life, eternal life. The proclamation of the gospel going to people who are yet to know him and to be able to tell them of who Christ is and what it is that he has done and how it is that they can be saved is the best news that anybody could ever bring to anybody. I've prayed that as we go through God's word, that what would take place within the hearts of myself and, and, and all of you is that we would go through Scripture and see Christ, hear the gospel, see who we were and what it is that God has done for us, and that the response of that would be just incredible worship. The response to learning about what it is that he's done for us and, and who it is that we serve would create in us worship like like Mary here. And that, and that that knowledge of him and love for him and adoration towards him, worship for him, would be that which just fuels everything that we do here as a church. It would fuel what takes place in the courtyard as we look at the different ministries that take place and it would fuel us going on mission trips or writing checks to send people on mission trips or being a part of going to our neighbor or going to, to, to the local Starbucks or wherever it is to minister the gospel. I, I pray that, that it's not like, oh man, we've got to do a mission trip. We've got to do a mission trip. I feel like I have to. You know, or write the check. You bugged me enough for it. <laughs> a horrible heart that would be, right? But, but to be in a place where the guys adore him. Like you're willing to go to Haiti or you're willing to go to Peru or you're willing to go to 
Uganda or you're going to go to Sudan or you're going to go to Romania or you're willing to go to Utah or you're willing to go to Arizona or you're going to do something in LA and just be at a place of like, I'll help you go. Can I go? Or I, I may be not able to go or call to go, but I'll, I'll joyfully send you and pray for you. And, the, and, and I pray that it would just be a joyful thing that takes place. Missions occurring, being sent out because we just adore him. We have the best news that anybody could ever hear, and we just want to be a part of, of proclaiming that here and even to the uttermost parts of the world. I pray that, that, that doing ministry and serving in different ways doesn't, isn't because it's just like, oh, I feel like I've got to do something here. But it would just be a heart of, I adore him. If I can help build people up and encourage them or use my gifts to be a blessing, then I'm going to do whatever I can because I just, I, I'm, I'm like Mary, just outside the tomb, and I, I just want to be close to him. And now he's risen from the dead, and, and I, I'm going to go tell the disciples, I'm going to obey everything he calls me to do. And, and, and if he's coming back tomorrow, then let's, let's make today really fruitful. Let's make today fruitful. If, if that is our pattern, a day becomes a week, and a week becomes a month, and a month becomes a year, and years become a lifetime of living every day as if he's coming back tomorrow, and soon he'll come back, and we'll find ourselves being ready. The, number of, the, the amount of fruit that would come from our lives would be just incredibly blessed. Not only that, but it comes from just loving him. She loved him. Her love for him brought her to the tomb. Her love for him has it so that she's outside the tomb just weeping. But she's there because she just wants to be close to wherever he was last. And she's there and she just adores him. But look what happens. No one else is there. She's there at this particular time, Peter and and John have left. The other women have left. And she's here now and she's there. And and Jesus appears to her first. She gets to be the first one to go and to tell the disciples that she's seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. Part of loving him, with that comes incredible blessings that come in our lives. When we're lukewarm, we're in a place like, "Eh, okay, there's not nearly the blessings of being outside the tomb. There's blessings that come with adoring him and loving him. And it's proper. So she goes and she tells the disciples in verse 18 that she has seen the Lord. I've seen him. You saw the empty tomb. You saw the grave clothes. You saw the stone rolled away. I I've seen him. I saw him with my own eyes. I saw him. And here's the things that he said. Then that same evening, that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace be with you. The disciples are there and they're in hiding. They're afraid of the Jews. The doors are locked. Um, 
So there's 10 of them there, because remember, Thomas isn't there. So they're there, and, and Judas isn't there either. But they're there. There's the 10 of them. And she comes, and she tells them the news. They're there that evening. They're afraid. The doors are locked. And now Jesus is standing in the midst of them. I love this because I, I, one is like, he didn't have to knock. He's just there in the midst of them. And his words are precious to us. Peace be with you. Think of all that he could have said. Really, you guys? You guys are afraid? The door's locked? You guys all bailed on me? When I'm being arrested, Peter denied me three times? Like, after three years with you, this is what you do when I go to pay the price on the cross for your sins? You, You don't hear any of that coming from the Lord. He's there before them, and the first time, the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Be at peace. Be at peace. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He shows them the marks that are there in his hands. Shows them the mark in his side. With our resurrected bodies, I think all things will be made new. With Christ here, there's still the scars that are in his hands and in his side. Part of it is to be just a constant reminder to us of what it is that he's done for us. He shows them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so he says to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I send you. It's that message that we just brought up as far as evangelism, missions, the Great Commission, bringing the good news to Jerusalem and Judea and even to the uttermost parts of the world. Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And did they go? They went. Here they were locked in this room and Jesus appears in the midst of them and from there they're willing to go. He says from there, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit and that changed everything for them. The Holy Spirit's now there and he tells them, receive the Holy Spirit and The Holy Spirit is is he whom strengthens us for everything that we're called to do. It's not us mustering up our own strength, but it is him working in us. I think of Acts 20 where you have Paul here speaking saying, See, I'm going bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, and I I don't know that things are going to happen to me when I get there. Only that the Holy Spirit has testified to me in every city that chains and tribulations await me in in Jerusalem. Like, that's what's going to happen. I, I, 
I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I know like I'm going to go to prison. There's going to be chains involved, and there's going to be tribulations that occur when I get there. The Holy Spirit's made it very clear. Every city I go to, he makes it very clear to me that when I go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen. And he says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It doesn't move me because all I want to do is proclaim the gospel. It doesn't move me. Prison doesn't move me. And tribulations don't move me. And being stoned doesn't move me. Having rocks thrown at me or being left out at sea or, or being whipped or whatever. It doesn't move me. I don't count my life dear to myself. I just want to finish my race with joy. And that means living as if he died yesterday and rose again this morning and he's coming back tomorrow. And I want to finish my race well. And that means proclaiming the good news testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. I want to tell people about the grace of God. I want to tell people about how it is that my Savior has loved me and died for me and was buried and he rose again and he appeared to me, even me who was taking people and killing them and and going and getting Christians and and hauling them from city to city and and, and killing them. He, He saved me and I want to testify to the grace of God. I want to tell people my story. I want to tell people of my Savior. I want to tell people of the good news. I want people to be saved so I don't care what happens to me in these different cities because the Holy Spirit's made clear to me that that's going to happen, but it doesn't move me because He is my strength and He enables me to go wherever He calls me to go to proclaim the good news of the gospel. I've made that kind of adoration for Christ, knowledge of our own sin strength of the Holy Spirit be in us that it would fuel us to do all that God has called us to do. And may we be great proclaimers of the gospel. Just as Mary ran back to tell the disciples, just as the disciples went from there to Ethiopia and to Russia and to India and to Europe and all over different parts of the world to proclaim the gospel, may that be us in a place of, as if he died yesterday, rose again this morning, he's coming back tomorrow with that kind of urgency, with that kind of adoration, with that kind of love. May that be that which fuels us to live for him. Not works. Not trying to earn favor with God. We just adore him. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for our text this morning. If there's repentance that needs to occur in some of our hearts this morning, I pray that the same Holy Spirit that you breathed upon those disciples who needed to repent in that upper room would call us to see the peace that you have given us and then the great commission in which you've called us towards. And that there would be a radical change that occurs in our hearts with urgency to proclaim the gospel urgency to send those that are willing to go, urgency to pray for them, urgency to stir up the gifts that are within us for the edification of the body and the proclamation of the gospel. And may that occur in our lives. And I, and I pray, Lord, that we here at Reverence Bible Church would know you and adore you and that love for you 
would cause us to not be moved by whatever else may come our way so that we could finish our race with joy. Testify to the gospel of the grace of God, even as if you were coming back tomorrow. Give us hearts that are like that with that kind of urgency. And may that be the pattern for the entirety of our lives. For your glory, for our good, and for our joy. And may we see countless people come to know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.